What got you into this these crazy marathon swims in Arctic waters? A journey got me there. You know, you, you definitely don't wake up one morning and say, I want to do the kind of thing that I'm doing. Uh, you know, and obviously I've specialized in the ultra extreme ice water stuff. So, and, and eventually pushing boundaries, firstly my own, and then eventually the boundaries of what was meant to be humanly possible. So I've taken it to the nth degree. And, and again, that's not something you decide to do. It's something that um, slowly evolves. You know, I, I was, um, you know, just to, to backtrack a little bit, I think a, a wonderful part of my story is that at the age of 30 years old, 30, I always say 30 and everyone think, thinks in, in America I'm saying 50, but 30, three zero, <laughs> I um, I'd done nothing. I'm 48 years old now and I was a couch potato doing very little and running an advertising business back in South Africa, doing really well and enjoying life and re- relatively was active, but then that kind of slid into the couch. And uh, one day I just decided to, to make a change. And, um, you know, I took a, a client away and he said, well, join my little swimming squad. And I hadn't uh, done any swimming for many, many years up until that point. And I thought, well, I've always enjoyed the water, so let me get in the pool. And then I managed to do a few lengths before I almost vomited because I put myself in the fast lane. And then, you know, ego kicks in. You try and keep up with the guys who have been there for years. And you've just on, on, on number one, session one. Um, and I stuck to it. And that just started an unbelievable process. So, where were you the first time you did one of these ultra marathons? Like, where was it? Was it in the, Was it in like freezing temperatures? No. So, if okay. you if anyone's been to to Cape Town and had a swim in our waters in Camps Bay and Clifton, they're really really beautiful. I encourage everyone to come. But the water is cold. Um, it is. It is. Uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to use the metric system. So we'll have to do some conversions into uh, into imperial for you. But the water is round about 14, about f- probably 45 uh, degrees Fahrenheit, um, is what you find, and that is quite uh, chilly. So you are exposed to the cold water. If, if you ever want to get out the swimming pool and into the ocean, I don't wear any wetsuits or any grease or anything like that. It's purely sort of a brief or a speedo type costume, one cap and goggles, and. Um, so I started to be exposed to the cold quite a lot, and there's a small in the back in the day. There's a small swimming community that used to do short distances uh, in these conditions, and um, I sort of joined them and started to be exposed to the cold, and then taking on more. And eventually, someone challenged me to do a swim from Robben Island to the beach. Now, Robben Island is where Nelson Mandela spent 18 of his 27 years incarcerated. Um, and the swim from Robben Island to the beach at that stage, it's a seven and a half kilometer. So what's that, about five miles. Wow. Um, and it's cold water and it's, it's, quite, uh, it's quite scary water, to put it bluntly. What coast is that, off, what is that island off of? Um, it is Table Bay. So it's right at the tip of Africa. Right at the bottom right tip. Right at the bottom tip wow. of Africa. Of that is a sharky place. That is a sharky place. Yeah. <laughs> so that, uh, you know, we, we'll, we'll get into that because that's where, where a lot of the psychology of what I do uh, comes into it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But just in the early days, you know, I was, uh, if someone swam from Robben Island to the beach, um, it made front page headlines. It was a big accomplishment. And I remember um, looking at these people who are doing it and, you know, every now and then, maybe once a year, someone would do it and they'd make the headlines and I'd just be in awe. I mean, who can do that? It's just insane. Right. Crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and eventually somebody set me the challenge. Well, hey, you're not enjoying your swimming in the, at the, in the swimming pool. Why don't you try set Robin Island as a challenge? And uh, it was absolutely insane for me. But long story short, I ended up giving it a go after training for about six months and uh, making it and then starting to realize a little bit about myself that what I thought was impossible for me or reserved for better humans um, was actually well within my grasp. Um, and that set me on quite an interesting journey. So it was one part of the journey. The other part of the journey was I started through so much exposure to the element of cold. I started to realize just how unbelievably impactful the element of cold is on the human body, but more importantly on the human mind. So um, we haven't as humans evolved well at all to handle the cold, but we've evolved exceptionally well to avoid it. So if you throw yourself into cold water, your body and most importantly your mind implements some highly evolved and very powerful defense mechanisms to make sure you get out of that situation. So you get pain and panic and fear and hyperventilation. All of this kind of happens in your head. And, um, you know, if, if the water is really cold, you often deny the ability of rational thought. And it just wants you to get out of that water because reality is if you stay in without protection, you're going to die. You are going to cool. The, the water is going to cool you down to its temperature. That's just science. It's going to happen. Um, and through repeated exposures, I started to realize just how overzealous this unbelievably powerful defense mechanism in my head was, trying to get me out long before I actually needed to. So there is an end point. I acknowledge that. There is an impossible. I'm, I'm just on a, on a sidebar. I'm the inspirational speaker who's made an international career not saying that anything is, is possible. I actually say there is an impossible. <laughs> mm. There is an end point. Let's be real. Uh, but... Where your mind tells you the end point is is not where it is. And that's kind of the crux of, of, of what I preach uh, in, in a much more entertaining way. Um, and I started to figure all of this out, that, uh, you know, they, they, that there's a line that um, your mind wants you to go back to comfort. Mm. Um, and that's to keep you alive, which is great for the survival of our species and all of this. But it's way overzealous. And um, I'm sure that has to compromise for a major chunk of uh, 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 large degree of the human brain is probably designed to keep you away from dangerous situations. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, that is what we evolved to do is to stay alive. Um, and that, that, that makes complete sense. And it's obviously a very useful defense mechanism to but it holds us back, <laughs> but it holds us back, you know, and, and it usually 99% of the time it happens subconsciously. So it's something that happens at the back of your brain. You hit a uncomfortable situation and you steer towards comfort. That's absolutely normal. Now, when you throw yourself into cold water, um, that what, what usually happens subconsciously comes bouncing to the front of your brain. And you actually notice it, like, hang on, it wants me out right now. I can't think of anything. So, so here's an example. That Robin Island swim I spoke about. Yeah. 
Um, I did it uh, the first time. It was my absolute Everest. I've now done it 122 times. So no one in the world has ever done it more than me. So it has become quite a routine. In summer, when I've got more daylight hours, I go out to the island. I'm there by 6 in the morning. Um, I swim maybe two, two and a bit hours to get to the beach, and I'm in the office before 9 a.m. So it's routine. But I tell you that because on each and every single one of those crossings, which is now routine for me, I get negative. There is, uh, at some point, I start to look for reasons why I can get back into that support boat that's alongside me, rather than stay in the water and make it across to the beach. And I, I started to become fascinated as to why this is. I mean, here's, a, here's something I know I'm going to make it to the beach, yet my mind is just telling me and looking for every excuse under the sun to get me out. Now, you mentioned sharks. A cold water swimmer, I promise you, sometimes prays for a shark. Just let the support crew see a fin because then they will pull me out the water and it won't be my fault I didn't fail because it was a shock. You, you start to actively look for reasons why you can fail, not why you should stay in and succeed. And uh, once I started to figure all of this out, I started to realize just how applicable it is what I'm experiencing in the cold water. And as, as the colder you get, the more brutal it becomes or more profound it becomes is happening in everyday life to every single one of us, especially in the corporate environment. It is, it is absolutely quite profound. And, and the reason, I reckon, and I'm no scientist, but I've figured this out through, through many, many uh, swimming expeditions, is that that defense mechanism that is designed to keep us safe, the side effect is to keep us safe from running into a fire or running off a cliff, I suppose. The side effect is it's also designed to keep us safe from the emotional pain that comes from failure. Because when we fail, there's a little bit of hurt, there's mm. consequences, humiliation, there's all those things that go with it. So when we see an environment or a decision that we might take or a step we might uh, take that could advance us, but it could also lead to failure because we don't know what's on the other side of the line, it's not in our lane, we naturally just gravitate back to staying in the lane and delivering nice steady performance perhaps, but uh, just not, not excelling and not learning and not growing. Mm. Jordan, could you pull up a map of that island? What was the name of the island? Robin. So it's Robin. R-O-B-B-E-N. Yeah, pull up a map. I want to see what that looks like. So you, so off in the distance, that is mainland? Uh, yeah, we don't. We can swim there. That's the further route, but you can swim to, to Bloberg Beach, which isn't in that picture. But it's okay. a, you, you get the, the shortest route is, is 7.5 kilometers, about oh, five okay. miles. If you swim to Table Mountain, that's about 10, 11 kilometers. Now, I'm sure you've seen the video of, of Mick Fanning getting attacked yeah. by that great white shark in the middle of a freaking televised surf contest. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that does not, how does that, I mean, that is like one of the most terrifying things. That is like, yeah. The epitome of my worst nightmare. And that isn't that place's whole South Africa is infested with those sharks and yeah. sea lions, seals and stuff like that swimming yeah. everywhere. But you you're surrounded by boats that are that are like constantly watching for this stuff and like looking out for sharks. So yes. So, so firstly, my comment on the Mick Fanning situation. I mean, he wasn't attacked by the shark. The shark wanted to attack him. Um, it'd be, it would he be would, a different outcome. Right. I think it got stuck in his leash or something. So it was mm -hmm. checking him out just to see what he was. But what he is. But sharks are, are not man eaters. I think we all know this. Um, and in the daylight, they right. they they obviously they opportunistic predators. So they want to come and see what you. So they'll get nice and close and maybe, and on the rare occasion, they, they take a bite and they take an arm or maybe kill you in the process. It didn't really right. mean to. So, and we call it a shark attack, which, which I totally understand. But 99.9% of the time, they, they check you out and realize you, you know what they, what, what they eat and they veer off. And I think uh, in, in Mick's case, 
came a bit too close and got stuck in his leash. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, th- I mean, just looking at the video that I saw. But yes, yeah, so I, I'm not surrounded by boats, but generally if I'm doing an open water swim, um, I will have a support crew alongside. Um, so there is, there will be a boat and, you know, someone looking out for the wildlife. Do they have like a really tall tower so they can have like a nice aerial view? No, it's a rubber duck. It's a, it's a little zodiac. Cause you can't see much from one of those little rubber boats. No, no you, you take, you, you, you take the chance and you do the maths and you realize you're going to be okay. But to be honest, the shark that you spot is not the shark you need to worry about. Um, we've, right. we've got the great white is, is what's prolific down in, in the waters I swim in. And that comes, if it's going to take you, it, it, it comes from below and, mm. it, and it breaches and it's made its mind up long ago mm-hmm. that it's going to do it. It's right. been, been watching you a lot longer than, than you've been watching it or because you haven't seen it and it, just, it comes in for the attack. What draw drew you to doing, was it more of like the adrenaline rush of doing this? Because it seems like kind of making a trek like that, is, it almost seems like the equivalent of skydiving to me. Probably, and, and skydiving still on my bucket list. I just never have time to do it. So, yes, there, there is an element of that, but I'm, I'm not a cowboy. My, my journey is, you know, I started to, I was totally unsporty, as I said. I was sitting on the couch, and I started to do these swims that I didn't realize I could do, and they were reserved in my head for other people. Um, and it's the element of cold that fascinated me, the element of how that impacted mm. me, and, and trying to go a little bit colder and a little bit further. Um, and, the, you know, swimming with the sharks is just a side effect because they're all there. Uh, where, where, you know, where I do my training and my, my swims. Um, does it add to it? It absolutely adds to it. It's a, psycho, it's a psychology. So swimming in cold, swimming is obviously a very strenuous sport. When, you, when you're in it, you're tired, you are, you know, you're physically fatigued, there's salt water, you mostly stung on nearly every swim, there's jellyfish and blue bottles and things. So it's extremely uncomfortable. Then you throw in the element of cold, which really impacts you mentally and it kicks in those defense mechanisms I spoke about. <coughs> then you throw in the psychology that you're looking deep down into, into the blue abyss and you know what's down there. Um, and even though you haven't seen it, it's probably seen you. And that, that just pings on your, on your psychology as well and, and your, your state of mind to continue in what is often a very difficult challenge. And all of that put together makes open water swimming, certainly in my neck of the woods, a very, very, very tough sport, um, which makes you quite mentally resilient if you do it more. And if you manage to compartmentalize those fears and, um, you know, I don't want to say it's irrationality because it's quite rational being scared of sharks. Um, but you put it in a place in your head. And once you practice that enough, you start to be able to do it with other stuff and move forward in, in a direction that many can't. How did you learn to control that part of your brain that's just cycling through those scenarios that are designed to get you out of the situation because I've been in a lot of those situations. I've spent a lot of time in the ocean, whether it be diving or sailing or surfing where I've been in like, like hairy situations that I really wanted to get out of. And I know what you're talking about. I know my mind has been there before how, I mean, spending hours and hours in the ocean like that, it must like, there must be some sort of evolution of, of your way of thinking, spending that much time in the water. How did you learn to control that? Through repeated exposures, um, and I do a little bit of homework before, and you, you have a look at what the odds are. Is it likely that if I swim for that many hours in that body of water that I'm going to attack? And it's, it's always highly, highly unlikely, but not impossible. And it's that little thing us humans can't let go of, that, that chance. That, I mean, if, if you drive two miles down the road, you, you don't think, what are the odds of me getting killed on this trip? 
it's possible, mm-hmm. but you're still going to do it. You, this is something you do every day. And I've just, you know, so I, I put it in the same place, really. Maybe it's a little bit more extreme. So, uh, you know, I let me tell you this story. So <laughs> I think I control it really well, and I do. I'm right up there with, with the top. However, when I'm swimming, you've got to find a very clear zone in your head because sometimes I'm doing great distances and it's 10, 12, 13, 14 hours swims um, nonstop in the cold. And, and um, you've got to go into a certain zone in your, in your mind to, to, to be able to handle that because you, you, you're, not, you're not there to worry about sharks. You're there to worry about your body and pacing yourself and making sure you, you get to the other side. Sharks and everything else that stings you and is under you and that scares you is, is, um, is, is a byproduct. Mm-hmm. So I put it to the side, but every now and then my hand will hit a jellyfish or hit a piece of kelp. And the reaction to that inside my body is a jolt. It's like an electric shock. And that's when you realize you're just harboring that fear just slightly left of center. So it's not front of brain anymore. It's just to the side, but it's still there. But I'm not aware of it while I'm swimming. I go into a zone and I separate myself from it. But it comes rushing back when you, when you bump that, <laughs> that right, object. Right, right, right. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. What is the longest swim you've ever done? Uh, at this point, it's the English Channel. So uh, it took me um, just short of 13 hours to get across, but I had very rough conditions and it should have been a bit, um, a bit shorter than that. 13 hours. Yeah. 12 hours and 54 Non-stop? minutes. Non-stop? Non-stop. Yeah. Jesus. You don't, yeah. you don't stop to get water or anything like that. You just have yeah. to drink water, right? So you've got a support boat and uh, you will stop on whatever your agreed feed schedule is. So every 30 minutes I will stop and they will throw me uh, carb drink because the one thing you know about the English Channel, you you know, you, I'm sure your your listeners are, are familiar with carbo loading. Any athlete is you you eat as much pasta, whatever, to get as much carbs, and you so right. to, to fill the tank up. Now, on an English Channel swim in cold water, which turned out in my day to be extremely rough as well, there is no way you can carbo load enough to get you across. So at some stage, your tank is is going to run dry. You drink carb drinks all the way through. But, um, you, again, you deplete more than you can possibly put in. Right. So you're going to hit the wall. You, you, but you do feed. We call it feed, but it's, it's mostly liquids that you take in. Right. So it's not like I swam 13 hours without stopping or having a drink. You get, a lot of people don't realize that you still need to drink, hydrate, when but you swimming. don't get out of the water. No, no, you're not allowed to touch anything that helps you. So you, you, start, Jesus Christ. you start clear of the water. So your ankles must be outside of the water. And then you swim in, in, in terms of the English Channel. You start in Dover. And then you swim um, all the way across to France. And then you've you got to clear the water. And once your ankles are clear of the water, your swim stops. What do you wear when you do these swims? A Speedo. Is that a brand here? I'm sure it is. Yeah. Speedo, one silicone cap and goggles. That's it. That's it. You're not even allowed to wear one of these GPS watches or you're not allowed to wear those um, aqua music things in your ears or anything that helps you. Is there a benefit to only wearing... Is, oh, that's you right there. Is there a benefit to only wearing a Speedo and a, and a swim cap? Or does it would a wetsuit hinder you at all? Not hinder. The opposite. So there's no benefit in wearing the Speedo. It's the purest side of the sport. So um, a, a challenge like the English Channel, it's, it's pretty much, it's, as a crow flies, it's about 35 kilometers, but you're going to swim about 40, 41 self-propelled on the day. Um, and that is obviously a huge challenge in itself, but anyone can get that level of fitness if you're dedicated enough and you put in the hours. But the, the real challenge of that and that Robben Island swim and, and most of the cold water swims, uh, the challenge is the cold. So mm. the challenge is 
performing when your mind is screaming at you that you are you're on your way out. Um, and that's the real challenge. So if you put on a wetsuit, it takes that all away. Plus, a wetsuit gives you buoyancy. So right. you sit a little higher and it, le- it reduces the drag. Um, so your times increase a lot. On, on, on uh, So wetsuits are a huge help, let's put it that way. Did you start out just like going, sitting in cold tubs at all? Or did you just dive right, did you jump straight into ultra marathons in ice ice cold water no definitely uh, started slowly so okay. uh, as i said you know in in cape town the water's cold so you start with a level of cold right um, and that triggered my fascination with the mental process of handling the cold and once i'd done everything in and around cape town i looked a little bit further to see where, where else i could so in fact my first international trip uh, for the cold was to alaska a little there's a, a island called the pennock island there where most of the locals uh, do the swim um, around an island annually. Um, I think it's about a 12-kilometer uh, circumference, and the water's around about 12 degrees Celsius as well. I have to get my cheat sheet for, for Fahrenheit, do the conversions. Um, and I think many of the locals do it in wetsuits, so we went to see if we could do it in, in uh, our Speedos, and you know, you learn a lot about yourself. And then slowly but surely, I've worked my way to Siberia and then ultimately Antarctica. Which was I lovely. think I heard somewhere that swimming is the most taxing uh, type of cardio exercise that you can do because your body is unable to sweat. You're unable to perspirate in the water. So it actually takes the most out of your body than anything else. Well, that, I've never heard that, to be honest, because I think you do sweat. Although you, I you don't do? know. Yeah. Uh, well, I th- that's why you have to hydrate. You know, a lot of people think you're in water so you don't have to drink water, which doesn't make a lot of sense. No. But you do, you do, even though it's cold water, um, you are physically exerting quite hectically. Swimming's a difficult sport, um, especially when, you know, if you take water that's absolutely flat like a mirror, swimming can be strenuous. But you rarely get that. So generally there's even a small wind um, that right. uh, that whips the water up, even a foot of chop or a, yard, or, well, yeah, a foot of chop and that totally changes your swim. Because now you're not just self-propelling. You need, you, you have to, buoy, uh, you, you, you need to, um, you use muscles to keep yourself uh, stable as well, stabilizers. Mm. And so you've got to train all of that as well. So that uses great exertion. Have you ever uh, read David Goggins' book? No. Which one? Which I forget what it's called. I think it's his only book or it's his latest book. I, 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 I listened no, to the I audio version. He basically tells his story of how he did uh, Bud's. Navy SEAL, the underwater Ooh. demolition training course. Oh, that's why it's in my head. Someone recommended it to yeah. me the other day. It reminds yeah. me a lot of, of what you do. Um, mm. He talks about, because he failed it, I think, twice yeah. because of fractures in his legs. He had, like, splinter spider cracks in his in his leg bones, <laughs> and he had to go back and do it, and he talks about how they have to, like, tread water for 30 minutes. Mm. Um and that that must be a breeze for someone like you. I I do it in my pool every once in a while. I'll I'll try to I'll try to doggy paddle for like fifteen minutes, and I'm I'm completely exhausted after doggy paddling for fifteen <laughs> minutes. Oh, it takes the it takes yeah. the life out of me. Yeah, one hundred percent. It is very strenuous, but you can train for that like anything right. else. You, you you can, and I'm very well trained for that. So I'm a fit swimmer. I keep myself very swimming fit. Um, and, and that takes a lot of work and a lot of dedication, a lot of hours, uh, mostly in the swimming pool. But you also got to get out there in the in the open ocean. When you're not, um, when you're like preparing for one of these long swims, do you like daily go get into ice water? Do you, is that like a daily ritual for you, or part of your daily routine? Or mm, it's if if I could, I would, but it's not that practical. So I right. live I live in Africa. It's hot. And uh, yeah. we don't have a lot of ice water. We've got cold water in right. the ocean. But it, you know, when I've done um, 
you, you know, I eventually graduated to doing stuff in, 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 the, in the, the real cold. So 40, 40 degrees Fahrenheit and below. Um, and that's where things get hyper, hyper, um, ultra extreme. Um, when I'm doing a challenge like that, then I will make sure I'm very fit and I will have lots of cold exposure, as cold as I can find it. And then what I do is I go to our local fishery and they have lots of ice and they fill up a big tub for me. They fill it with ice and, and water and we bring that water down to um, zero degrees Celsius or what's that, about 30, 32 mm. uh, Fahrenheit um, just before water freezes at that point and I get into my speedo and I sit in that and I'll do that not every day because it's, it's quite a process to get permission and, and get that all set up. But I do that a few times just and I'll, I'll talk you through why I do that, by the way, if you want to know. Is it yeah, yeah, I mean, I've, I've done it before myself like after work not getting into ice but like i'll do it in the winter here i will get into my pool and it gets to like maybe 60 degrees at the coldest (laughs) and before i get in that is the difficult most difficult Mm. mental aspect of it is just Mm. getting your body in there like neck deep in a 60 degree pool it's fucking difficult it is like Explain how you get through that. And, and also, go ahead and explain why you... Yeah, so it never gets easier. Yeah. There's the bad news. <laughs> it's always going to hurt. Uh, there are a couple of tricks of the trade that I can uh, share with you guys. But uh, you, you just... Listen, I literally have a conversation with myself. I know that sounds silly, but I, before I expose to the real cold, I mean, the, the 60 degrees Fahrenheit and that, that's a bit of a breeze. You know? <laughs> that's, yeah, for you. Uh, for, for me, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm very used to that. It still hurts. I still get the ice cream headache and all of the things that, that uh, everyone else will. But, um, you know, I, I'm so conditioned now to know that it's just temporary and that disappears and you'll be comfortable in five minutes. Mm. So, you know, man up and, and get through it. But when you start getting into the lower levels, it, it becomes really brutal. And one of the reasons I do those ice buckets ice baths as most people call them it's because there's quite a process that happens i mentioned earlier that you you know your 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 mind is this defense mechanism so you throw yourself in there and it goes into overdrive so this pain panic and fear that come together in a split second they accentuate self-doubt and yeah that you denied the ability of rational thought and the hyperventilation all of that happens and while that is happening in your head, your body starts implementing its own defense mechanisms, and that is the blood rushes from your extremities to your center core. And that's not just fingers and toes. That's arms and biceps and thighs and everything. All the blood rushes out of those muscles to sit here in your center core because, I mean, I'm no doctor or, or medical dude, but y- you can live without arms and legs, but you can't live without a heart pumping blood to the brain. Mm-hmm. So all the blood rushes in here to keep your heart warm enough to keep supplying your brain with blood. So you lose all coordination and strength in your muscles because there's no blood supplying oxygen to those muscles. Um, And that is a process I need to understand and I need to figure out. So, for example, when I took on a challenge in Antarctica to try and be the first in the world to do an official mile south of the Antarctic Circle, um, I would sit in there and I would have to compute that I'm going to be feeling all of this, because as you sit in that ice tub, it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal, and it hurts. It's excruciating pain. Um, And through that pain, I've got to actually calm myself and say, well, you're going to be walking down the gangway of an ocean liner in Antarctica in 10 days, Ryan. You're going to be diving into water that's as cold as what you're sitting in, um, and you're going to try and swim a mile distance. Um, How on earth are you going to overcome the massive instincts that are going to kick in, the hyperventilation, that pain, panic, and fear that uh, 
petrifiedness. You're going to be scared. Everything is going to just try and get you out. How are you going to um, not sprint the first 200 meters out of sheer adrenaline and panic, and then not be, f- you know, not, not have enough energy to do the 1,400 meters thereafter? All of these things I've got to try and visualize while I'm sitting in that horrible tub of ice. Um, so that's why it's a very important part of the process for me. Um, but I don't do it every day, and uh, life wouldn't be worth living if I did. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. Have you noticed any sort of differences in like your health or anything like that? Like since you started doing this and spending more time in cold water, does it does it benefit you in everyday life at all? So there's a massive global movement. I'm sure you, you're aware of that. You know, the cold has got. Oh yeah, everyone great. on my Instagram feed is showing off how they get into ice tubs. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I I look at those and I think I, I wish I'd love them to come and do an ice tub with me because. <laughs> So many people, so we, we, we're going left of center, but so many fill it up with water and throw some ice to cover the, the, the top layer and they jump in and <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's probably brought down a few degrees, but it's, uh, you have to do a nice tub properly because of course, when you get in as a human, immediately you start warming that water up. So you've got to keep adding ice because if you're right. in the ocean, you're not going to warm the ocean up. It's going to no. keep cooling you down. So, yeah. um, so uh, you asked about the health benefits. There's, there's definitely health benefits to the cold. I don't know. that I'm sure everyone's heard of the Wim Hof method and, yeah. and all these uh, things which are, are taking on big time. I'm certainly not criticizing them, but I just don't know a lot about it. Um, what I do, I don't think there's any health benefit to. There's, I've, I've been pushing boundaries so to, to, to the, the nth degree. To certainly a mental health benefit. Yeah, so let, let me tell you about the process and, and why I think everybody comes back and thinks there's such a great health benefit. And I'm not saying there isn't, so don't get me wrong. But when you, the, the most dangerous part of any extreme cold swim is not while you're swimming, okay? It's actually when you get out. And that is because there's a process called the after drop. Okay, so now you've done your swim. You've gone through the pain in the beginning. You've got through that pain. You feel good about yourself. You've now sat in the water for, for a little bit or you've had your swim. You then get out and you feel great for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, that warm blood that's now sitting in your center core protecting your heart starts to release and it goes back to your extremities. Okay, so it goes back to your fingers and toes and whatever. And now they're frigid because they've had no blood in them and they've been exposed to the cold. Mm-hmm. So that warm blood that was in your core rapidly cools down. And it circulates back to your center core um, and cools your core temperature down. It's called the after drop. So after swim drop. Um, And that core temperature just keeps coming down. Now, it's not that dangerous to most people doing sort of mildly cold swims and enjoying it a little bit. But what we do, it's, it's, it's a deadly process because if you drop one notch below, you can't control it. If you drop one notch below, you're dead, finished. That's just how it is. Hypothermia is an absolute killer. But oh, that's what hypothermia is. Yeah, that's hypothermia. And when you do a ut- when at some point, presuming you don't die, which clearly we do a lot to make sure we don't, <laughs> um, you then turn what we talk turning the corner. So you go f- back into and you start shivering. Okay, and shivering is good because it means you, you're on the app. And when you turn that corner and you start slowly start getting some warmth back in your blood and your bones, it releases endorphins like you won't believe. And I mean, I've never done drugs, so I don't know, but I presume it's it's like a it's like 
being on a high. It must be what it's like. Someone, when I, I gave a keynote yesterday, someone said, trust me, drugs are a lot easier. So <laughs> to feel the high. So yeah, yeah, there's a lot easier ways to get the high. <laughs> <laughs> to get the, I wouldn't know, so I'll stick to the cold. But I think when, when you feel that and you realize just how euphoric that feeling is, um, because when I do the cold swims, I always come out saying, well, that's it, finished. And I'm more intelligent than this. I'm not doing that again. That was horrific. And then suddenly I, I come out of that after drop and I'm... I, I, I'm turn the corner and I'm like, wow, what's next? That was awesome, yeah. how rad. And, and it's just a endorphin release that just makes you feel so great about life. And that's why it's treating depression and it's treating anxiety <clears throat> and all of these things. Mm. You just feel so good about yourself. Yeah, there is no better feeling. I'm aware of the feeling just from surfing in like really cold water for hours on end and then getting out and warming up and feeling that kind of like zero drag type yeah. feeling. Yeah. It's like there's nothing holding you back. You're just kind of like moving against like without gravity yeah. almost. So it's, so you you've you've got a good taste of what it's about. Yeah. yeah. And then but when I do it in the tub or like in my pool, I I start I have to get out once like I start to feel the pins and needles in my head and in my face. Yeah. It's different. It's yeah. it, when you're out in the ocean like for for me for surfing, it's like it's different because I'm not thinking about the elements because I'm having so much fun, like doing something else. My mind is occupied. I'm distracted. Exactly. But when you're in the pool, it's like, well, you could hit the escape button just by moving two feet to the right or just climbing right out. It's like right there. So it's way more difficult and it feels more painful too. And, 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 but you've hit the nail on the head, the distraction thing. I talk quite a lot about that because you know, if you're not distracted and you walk into really cold water, it's excruciating and that's all you think of and i learned this um there's a beach called camps bay down in, in cape town and it's often really flat and you just walk in but every now and then there's a set of waves that are coming through that that dump and they, they can really hurt you if you mm-hmm. get your timing wrong um and every time i go swim there and there are no waves i find it excruciatingly hard to get in that water you go through all the pain but every time there are waves suddenly i'm swimming and i've have forgotten all about the cold and the pain and hardly notice it. Mm. And uh, I started to put all those things together. And, and the pain's still there, but you just focused on something else. You right. focused on not getting dumped by the waves. So what happened to that pain? What happened to all those negative emotions and sentiments and squealing and uh, everything right. else that, that, that you do? So that, that's mm. always been fascinating to me, and I've looked quite deeply into that. When you swim through giant surf, do you, ha- do you swim under the waves or do you swim over them? I go under yeah, going, sure. yeah, I would imagine that. I don't have easier. a surfboard or anything, so I, I just keep low. Right, yeah. right, right. Do you surf ever when you're in Africa? Uh, I did not at the moment. I no. used to uh, as a as a lighty, as a youngster, lighty, as we say in, in South Africa. Uh huh. In, yeah. Ca- in Cape Town. Cape Town, yeah. Really? Yeah. Why have you stopped? I ran out of time, really. Um, oh, okay, I, too busy. Too busy. Uh, too busy swimming. <laughs> oh, swimming. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't have time for anything else. But I, I, it's a it's a fantastic sport. In fact, I did it again the other day. I hired a board. And went down to Musenberg. Have you heard of False Bay? Mm-mm. So False Bay is a body of water in, in Cape Town that is well known as one of the most dangerous places to swim. It's where our great white attacks have happened. Um, not that many, so I don't want to like blow it out the water, but that's known as a feeding ground for the great white shark in a, in a big way. Um, and that's where I do my surf. Well, when I was a surfer, did my surfing. But to the point, that's a 34-kilometer cross body of water, so to swim right across it. And I, um, last year, took it, made it a goal to try and swim that 34 kilometers across, but in, in a direction. So five people had done it before, but in a different direction. Really? Um, and I tried to swim the other way around, yeah, and, and got it right and got a Guinness World Record for it as well. No way. Yeah, it's crazy, man. That is wild. And that's uh, actually, oh, that's... Uh, making um not the guinness world record part but the the actual swim 
was a product of an amazing journey for me. And it was a product of a failure. Uh, and it's actually a keynote I give now called Failing Forward. Where, um, you know, in my swimming career, I started small and then I tried something bigger and I succeeded and I tried something bigger and I succeeded and then I tried it bigger and bigger. And I kept succeeding and succeeding and succeeding. And then all of a sudden I tried to swim, which was from Ireland to Scotland uh, across the North Channel. And uh, I, um, it, it kicked me in the butt properly. I got something called SIPE, which is swimming-induced pulmonary edema, um, where your lungs fill up with water and you don't even know it and you're basically drowning. And I was getting God. this while I was swimming. Um, and I, I very nearly drowned. So, But, but it, it was my own fault to a degree in that... Um, let me give you a little bit of how it works if you're interested in this. So oh, it's, yeah. Steer me. So when, when you're going to do a swim like the North Channel, so that's also 35 kilometers across. It is 12 degrees Celsius. Where is this North Channel again? That's between Ireland and Scotland. So far Northern Ireland. Ireland and Scotland, okay. Yeah, so you're going to try and swim just from Ireland to Scotland. Jesus. Um, and it's about 35 kilometers, but it's very cold water. And again, no wetsuits, anything like that. Um, and it's, it's meant to be one of the toughest swims. I've done tougher, but this is a real tough one. What makes um, it so tough? Just the, the distance? The, cold, the distance the cold? and the cold, yeah. Okay. And, and um, the, the currents that move in between those, mm, the, yeah, the, imagine. The, the, they're massive. So you have to get your timing right on tides. So there's only a certain tidal cycle that you can actually humanly give it a, give it a, a go. And that you rely on people to help you with. But... I booked that with a guy who knows the channel and uh, has expertise in taking swimmers across. He tells me maybe two years in advance the tide I'm going to swim on. Okay? And I've got one week. I've got to fly from South Africa to Ireland where you're based. And I've got one week to make it across that body of water. And if the weather doesn't play ball in that one week, and that one week selected on tides, so tide variance, if the weather doesn't play ball for, for those seven days – you go home, finish. It's like it's kind of like summiting Everest. You, you know, you, you if the weather's terrible and you're only a hundred meters from the summit. How does he know two years in advance? Because the tides are predictable. The weather's not. Okay. So the weather's your gamble. So you can tell me I know exactly what tide's going to happen on between the first and the seventh of August. So that's your slot. So I arrive there, and then I've got to wait for a nice day to happen uh, in that slot. And if, if there is no nice day weather wise, um, then, then I'm in trouble. And of course, Murphy's law for me, there was no nice day. So it was, Hey, thanks for coming to Ireland at great cost and trepidation and training to get yourself, you know, get yourself there. And, um, but you might as well go home because it's, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, the weather's not cool, but, um, being me and being a little bit arrogant at the time, and I had had all these successes and successes. You know, I was the guy who always succeeded. I'm, I'm the guy who like, figures it out. And no matter what the ocean throws at me out there, I'll, uh, I'll figure it out and I'll get across. And I managed to convince the guys to, give it, to let me have a go on a day that, that they would not have taken anyone. Um, and they knew my reputation, so they were okay to do it. And um, it wasn't the roughest day in the world, to be honest. So that's, that's another thing I must just disclaim here. A swimmer looks at water very differently. So what looks maybe quite benign to most people. As a swimmer, you'll be looking at it going, that is terrible to swim in. So even just a, a mm. I mean, big rolling swells are okay, where some people go, oh, that's rough. But a swimmer looks at the chop and the sort of uh, washing machine kind of effect. Right. There's no uniformity to it. So you just cannot get into any rhythm right. for 12, 13 hours. That's brutally hard. Um, and uh, I was out there uh, in that kind of, of weather and um, – it was very cold water, so I think about um, 
me get this right, probably about 50 degrees. What's 12 degrees Celsius? Um, I should have brought that cheat sheet, damn it. Thank God. Um, and I was six and a half hours in to the swim, and I was doing really well, and I was getting all the thumbs up from the support crew, and, and uh, all of a sudden, they stopped me and at, a, at a scheduled feed, so on the half-hour mark, um, and they said, I need more from you which is very unusual for me be, to be told I need more. In other words, I need you to speed up. You're slowing down because they track you on the currents and you've got to get to certain points before the tide changes. Otherwise, you get washed out to ocean, so you've got to make it across. So they needed me to, to up my pace. And I remember thinking that's a little bit weird because you know I'm, I'm swimming hard and I've been getting all the thumbs up. I haven't changed anything. Um, so I tried to pull harder and I just couldn't, couldn't grip the water. It was just the most bizarre feeling. And I was... I'm trained to understand hypothermia. I'm trained to feel shit for a long time and perform under those uh, those conditions. Yeah. So I was feeling shit as I expected to. Um. And I just remember having absolutely no power in my arms. I could not pull. I could not give the guy what he needed more. And then they stopped me again. And uh, the, you know, there's no kind of gentle love on these boats. So there's no like, oh dear, won't you try and push a little harder? It's like, do you want to go to Scotland or back to fucking South Africa? You make a decision. Give me more. Uh, and it, it kind of hits you. And I tried and I tried, but it eventually, all of a sudden, everything just went black, and my eyes went totally fuzzy. I couldn't see. Oh shit! And um, I took my goggles off. Apparently, I don't remember this part, and I swam away from the boat. And uh, obviously the crew realized there's something proper wrong there and they pulled me out. And uh, I can't remember getting into the boat or any of that, but I remember suddenly being in the boat and like, am I still swimming or what's going on? I'm being very dazed. And then I heard what could only be described as, as a death rattle, you know, like, like a, a rasping sound that sounded like it was inside my head. But what it was was my lungs had filled up with water. So I was drowning. I'd got this swimming-induced pulmonary edema, SIPE. Um, and and my, the water, through a whole series of things that we unpacked later, my lungs had kind of allowed water to come in. I'd also, in the rough water, I drank a lot of salt water as well, which also the salt then upsets a the balance in, in mm -hmm. your, your chemical makeup. Yeah. And <clears throat> so I was drowning. How did the water get in your lungs? Uh, just because the waves are splashing over me, and I was... Uh, you are inhaling uh, it. And, and, yeah, sorry, no, that's not how I got in my lungs. That gets, that's how I get in my stomach. Oh, but. Right. What you've, I don't want to get too too technical here, but the, the you've got a layer over your lungs which is impermeable, so it doesn't allow water in, it only allows out. But when there's a chemical imbalance, the way I understand it, when something goes wrong in your body, that gets disrupted and it allows moisture to seep in. And I'm taking in a lot of moisture, so I suppose I'm, I've got all the salt water in me and uh, various other things, lack of sleep, and there was there was a lot and hypothermia and everything that's that's just not. Uh, uh, you, you're not comfortable and slowly it, it, uh, it was drowning me so I was like inches away from, from death um, oh and that was I can't remember why I started telling you the story I've gone like uh, totally left of center but anyway that, that was a huge failure for me it was a massive kick in the pants that, that uh, oh yes, I was talking about the failing Ford keynote and that um, being me you know, we got the Coast Guard out. I don't know. They got oxygen on my face and they saved my life. And I went to hospital. And uh, there, there I was sitting. I was. They got a helicopter out there? No, no. Oh. They came out in a, in a. We were about. I'd swam 20 kilometers. So we okay. were 20 k's off the Irish coast. So they could get out there quite quickly. They were already on the water, thankfully. And they carry oxygen. So they got it on my face. And then they, they zooted me back to the harbor where there's an ambulance waiting and got me to Donegadee Hospital. Fun place. Uh, and. Um, 
the doctors then explained because I was quite belligerent, you know, you know, tough on bulletproof, and uh, you know, now now that the oxygen was in my brain, I could start to compute that I'd failed to swim, and I was brutally unhappy, God. brutally unhappy. But being um, being me, being the guy who had never failed before, um, I didn't know how to process failure. I didn't know. I did what guys do or what I think guys do is I swept it under the carpet and instead of processing what actually went on there and what my role was in that I pointed fingers at everything else and I set a bigger goal hmm. um, and that's why I was telling you the story because that bigger goal was to try and swim across False Bay in South Africa with the, the sharky water which mm. was I knew was something that was going to really mess with my mind and that's why I wanted to take that on um, and yeah th- that took me three, uh, three years to get to that False Bay start and the reason it took me so long was purely because I did not um, manage that failure well at all. I took no accountability. I did not go introspective on it. I did not acknowledge my role in it. And for three years, I set the goal. I trained my ass off for it. I spoke a big game and everyone was waiting for me to do it. I had the team set up. But psychologically, in the back of my head, I just couldn't find that starting line. Couldn't. Did, so you still to this day, did you figure out what it was that caused that like what the, the, what could you have done differently to avoid getting all that water in your lungs so th- there's nothing conclusive however i could have been less belligerent and taken the pain of not swimming in my week and coming back the following year num- number one could not have pushed them as hard to to have me swim on a day that they <laughs> mm. as the experts suggest i don't swim um i had to meet in the harbor at 3 a.m in the pouring rain and the freezing cold. Oh, my God. And because I wasn't going to swim, but at, right at the last minute they said, okay, you've badgered us enough, we'll let you swim. I wasn't totally prepared, so I then had to spend my, there's a, there's a lot. That you, you think of swim, you just take your, your Speedo and your cap and a towel. That's <laughs> not how it works. You, you really, I mean, you're going to be swimming for, in this case, 12 to 14 hours in cold water. You need a lot on the boat to make sure um, that, that you're going to make it across. So I spent probably until like 10, 11 p.m. preparing and then getting into bed and then trying to work on my headspace because it's very important that you're in the right mindset before you stand on that shore. Mm. And then you want to get a good night's sleep. But when you've only got two hours to sleep before your alarm clock mm. goes off, what happens? You don't sleep. You're waiting for your alarm clock. Right. And then off I went. And you know, So there was a whole combination of stuff. Plus there's some medications as well, which um, I don't tell a lot of people this, by the way, but I'll share it uh, w- with you, is that I have a heart condition. So I have actually... I have three stainless steel stents in my heart keep, really? keeping me going, yeah, which was um, you know, something that, that also impacted my psychology a little fairly recently. But I'm on medication for that, so that How also impacts. How did it affect your psychology? Well. Did you think about it? Uh, I think about it every day. You can't, really? yeah. So I was at a training session um, at the tender age of 39, 39, three, three, nine, and uh, um I was at my normal training session, did a hectic time, and uh, right at the end of the session, I was doing a cool down. So you just get do 20 laps just to like kind of bring your heart rate down. And I just had this unbelievable pain in my chest. And I could actually feel myself sweating in the water. I could feel everything getting mm. hot and flustered. And I don't know what it was. I just thought. Training in the ocean or a pool? No, in a pool. Okay. With a coach and you know, other people on a Saturday morning. So kind of a social vibe. And, okay. But you train hard. And I remember thinking, well, I'm not going to stop because I must just work. I think it felt like air trapped or some pressure in my chest. I don't know what it was. 
And I carried on, I finished doing the swim and then I climbed out and I was sitting on the side of the pool and people were chatting to me. But even, I'm drip, even though I'm dripping wet, I can still feel sweat coming through. And I just remember thinking, that's really bizarre and a horrible feeling. And then the pain subsided and everything was fine. Um, didn't bother telling anyone, got in my car and uh, I was driving home and I just felt it just like a, voah, like this pain in my chest right in the dead center um, and all the sweat and the pain down my arm and and I just realized there's something seriously wrong. Still not knowing heart because, I mean, I'm super fit, super healthy, 39-year-old. Uh, it didn't make any sense. Um, and I remember having to make a decision. I'm either going to pull out over on the side of the road and die in my car or I'm going to make it home. <laughs> so I decided I'm going to really push and get home. And lo- long story short, I got home and, I, and uh, my wife at the time, I'm now divorced, uh, I told her the story saying something weird happened and she could see I looked a bit disheveled. And she forced me to go to the doctor, which um, I reluctantly didn't want to do, but thankfully I did. And uh, through a whole sort of extended story, they, they diagnosed that I had these arteries that were about to block off. And so it was all, a heart attack that you had? It, it, I never had a heart attack. I had the full-on angina. So I had days, weeks before the full-on heart attack came. So the arteries were really closed. Then they put the stents in those arteries to, to open them up again. And you asked me why that affects you psycho- psychologically. It's a massive psychological blow. When you think you're bulletproof, mm. when you're on the up and you're doing stuff that and you've got all these plans, you're, my swimming career just started um, and I had plans to really push my limits and all of a sudden your body says no. And everyone and your doctors and all your family and everyone are like, well, we're glad you're still with us, but you know, your swimming days are over. You know, now you just be stay-at-home dad. Um, and that just was so impactful to me personally. It was terrible. So besides the, I suppose, humiliation and you know, belittlement that that comes with, also now when I, do, when I did go back to swimming training, two days later, <laughs> uh, <laughs> gently, every little niggle and little pain still to this day, nine years later, I, I still, you react differently because now I know I have a problem and I know it could trigger at some stage. And I mean, I'm normal, the stents have fixed it, but it's, uh, it, it just impacts you. So you, you, you feel maybe far more vulnerable than I would before. Did you have any sort of like history of this in your family or did they say it was because of because of your lifestyle or what what do they say could have been the reason for it? The uh, 100% hereditary. Hereditary. Yeah. yeah. So my lifestyle's good, never smoked. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy a beer, glass of wine, make no mistake, but uh, I'm fit as a fiddle, um active and generally a very healthy lifestyle. My dad had uh, some problems. He's still with us, so he's fine, but he he had uh, heart disease. Um and I got that clearly through that line. What do you have to do? Like, how long do you train before one of these swims? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it, again, how long is a piece of string really? So to pay, you take something like the English Channel or the False Space Swim or the North Channel Swim or one of these longer cold marathon swims, there's a whole different training regime to trying, for example, to do a mile in ice water. Mm-hmm. And ice water we classify from 41 degrees and below. Five so, degrees Celsius. So before you do a really long swim in really cold water, do you have to change your diet at all before that beforehand? You need to put on weight. So the the, the more weight you have, the more insulation you carry, and it takes and it, it makes a huge difference. And how do you put on weight? What kind of nutrients? What do you eat? I'm not very scientific about no. it. I wish I was. Like, yeah. it, like is it more carbs, more fat? Yeah, more I like, eat I eat more carbs really, okay. um, and I'm not. 
I'm not necessarily a huge believer in carbs. It's just they're the most accessible and the easiest way to put on weight. I am, from what I do, I'm really not the right physique for it. I'm, I'm, if you saw me now, maybe maybe you disagree, but I'm generally not the right physique for, for cold water swimming. Um, if you look at most cold water swimmers, they are very large units. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not, and that means I'm at a greater disadvantage. They have a lot of fat on them. A lot of people have a lot of fat, yeah, and that that plays a huge role. I mean, I'm sure it does. I mean, yeah, fat is, is supposed to be one of the best sources of energy, yeah, and it's also, I mean, it's also very buoyant. So I, ma- I imagine it just makes it way easier. You, you're buoyant, and uh, yeah, it, it's but from a cold perspective, it keeps the cold out for longer. Right, yeah. right. Have you tried? Never experimented? Like thought maybe about transitioning and to get more fat on you or yeah so before a big swim i often try and bulk up a little bit you you don't do the opposite but it's it's a, it's, a, it's sometimes a, a bit of a, a push and pull because you you're eating more um but you're training so hard so you're losing more and you know up until recently um i lose weight really quickly now that i'm getting a bit older it's getting a <laughs> darn side harder but uh, i've got to readjust to that but i i would uh, be eating a lot and training more and just you know the, the very hard to put on weight i was told to put on six or eight kilograms before uh going to english channel and i think i managed to put on like two or three wow yeah and i got cold properly jesus so like before you do a big swim like that you would just gorge on food you would mm. eat like a massive like fatty steak I, or something or? I, I absolutely love food so it's it's a great sport for me to yeah. to justify uh, yeah, I, I do. For example, I'll go and do a, a twenty-kilometer pool training set, which is horrible and brutal and takes about mm-hmm. seven hours and in, in laps backwards and forwards. <laughs> and the thing that will get me to the end is the burger I'm going to eat afterwards. I fantasize, really fantasize. <laughs> about. And funnily enough, um, you know, in fact, I, I went in great detail in my book about it. Uh, you know, the, on the English Channel, I got to a point where um, my nose got blocked because there's quite a lot of, of, of ship diesel and stuff in the water and mm. the salt impacts my sinuses. So my sinuses were completely blocked. Plus the weather went really foul. So I've got big waves. And now you've got to try and picture, you, you've been swimming, let's just say at this stage for 10 hours. So you're tired, you're freezing cold, it's getting dark. And now you want to, you've been drinking liquids, but now you want to eat like, I have like little marshmallows or a grape or a little piece of chocolate or something that you throw down and that gets thrown to me in the water in a Tupperware mm-hmm. so now picture swimming holding a Tupperware with one hand taking the lid off and then having to pick stuff out with the other now both your hands are above the water right right you're so using your legs you, only you're now treading water but you've got waves coming over you so you, you've got to try and get high and the higher you get the harder it is the more energy so when you've been swimming for 10 hours it's just not great cramp kicks it so what was happening I'd take that Tupperware and I'd shove it all into my mouth um, and at one but then just like dump it in dump it in but now my mouth's full my nose is blocked now I can't breathe so then I have to spit it all out so these are the things you can't train for and you've got to get through and so all of a sudden I'm in a place where I can no longer eat any solids I can still drink but no, no solids and solids were part of what I'd planned for two years on, on this particular swim mm-hmm. so I <laughs> had five more hours to swim. No, okay, wait, we'd be doing 10. So I had like three more hours to swim, not knowing I had three more hours to swim. But I got through the last three or four hours of that swim fantasizing because I couldn't eat, (laughs) fantasizing (laughs) about what I knew because I'm cold and hungry. I knew I was in that boat. And if I made it and I got back on that boat because you you don't then stay in France, you go back to to England. Mm. Um, 
I was going to eat absolutely everything on that boat. And uh, true to form, I did make it. And I did uh, get on that ship. And I remember, you know, the English crew, I said to them, bring that roast chicken, bring that thing, I'm going to kill it. And he said, no, I'm going to bring you the vomit bucket. Uh. I said, no, don't worry. Trust me, I do not need to vomit. Just bring me the food. So he brought me the food and the vomit bucket. Because he knew you were going to throw And up. yeah, five minutes later, I was vomiting up a storm. <laughs> Does that make it easier thinking about the food at the end and having like, mm. does it give you some sort of like, like dopamine drip to keep you, keep you alive? Yeah, you know, every, each is to it? their own, but you need to incentivize yourself. So whatever works for you, mm. for me, that was part of it was, was actually fantasizing about what I can eat and how many calories I've burnt and on this and I don't care anymore anyway. And, uh, um, so that, you, know, that, you know, my strategy for something like a channel and for other big swims, um, long swims where you really it's just you and the water you know, there's no one to talk to no music to listen to no nothing you are just there by yourself yes there's a support boat but you can't talk to them unless you stop and you don't want to stop in, in cold water swimming you don't want to stop so you have to stop and feed but you drink and go never longer than 30 seconds okay so it's not like you can have a conversation so you spend a lot of time in your own head and when you're in your own head in cold water all you feel is discomfort all you feel is negativity. All you feel is your hunger. All you feel is the, the things you want and lack. Right. Okay. So if you let that get the better of you, which it's very easy to do because the element of cold, again, makes you this excuse magnet. And that's a term that, that you might not understand. But when you're in a hostile environment or uncomfortable environment, you want to get out of it. And if you get out of that uncomfortable environment, in my case, that's failure. So I start becoming an excuse magnet. How can I fail? And it won't be my fault. Like I mentioned that, please right. let, let shark. them see a shark yeah. thing and then they'll put me. So you start to do <clears throat> all of this kind of snowballs in your head. So my strategy, which is a very rehearsed mental strategy, was to promise myself that I'll have no negative thoughts whatsoever. And when something horrible happens, like I swim into a jellyfish or a blue bottle and it stings me and it hurts, I need to laugh about it. Physically laugh out loud under the water. Mm. And even though I'm cursing deep down, um, just to keep those endorphins and keep those positive. And when you take a breath and a wave hits you and you gulp down another mouthful of disgusting seawater, um, laugh about it. Say, yes, this is what you say right. for, buddy. And it's, it's just a mental way that I keep myself tough in the swim and uh, maybe positive. Do you ever look or look into or read about um, different types of breathing while you're swimming? For instance, um, I read a, I read that book called I think it's called Breathe or Breath. Yeah, all about breathing, yeah. and he talks about like endurance, yeah. breathing through your nose, basically yes, like and, yeah. gives you yeah. way more, yeah. you know, way more cardio endurance and makes you go longer than if breathing through your mouth. Yeah. But it's hard in the water, knowing from surfing, mm. and I try to do it. I, I try to focus on it when I'm surfing or like when I'm trying to like paddle like out through a, like a really long lineup and there's big waves, trying to do it through my nose. And it's extremely difficult because you got water splashing everywhere. Have yeah. you ever tried to focus on that while you're swimming? It's impossible to breathe it's, through your nose. It's impossible. So you, you meant to breathe in through your mouth and out through your nose. Right. Okay, that's kind of the, the accepted. And, and that's pretty much what I do. But I get such reaction to salt water. So often my nose is, is, is closed. I get sinus. Okay. Um, so I'm, my breathing is, is really bad. But I do believe that the, you know, breathing plays a big role. But as you suggest, it's, it's nearly impossible to practice, to practice a certain breathing regime. I mean, there, there are ways of, you know, you breathe in through a closed mouth and 
suck in like that or you there's different some for energy some for calm some for stress there's lots of different breathing techniques that i've read about none of them you can do in the water if you're swimming unless you stop and and do that that's not going to happen in the cold unless you're maybe doing the backstroke have you, have you ever done yeah. backstroke when you were swimming? <laughs> no, <laughs> well, definitely not. You never tried? No. no. <laughs> Why I not? Li- oh, listen, I don't like the backstroke. <laughs> no? no? I'm very trained to do... to do. Look, you want to... Some people do breaststroke. It just blows my mind. But um, So you only do freestyle? I do freestyle. Okay. That's, that's the fastest and, and generally the mindset is to get across in the least amount of time. Um, backstroke is not efficient. <laughs> not for me anyway. Yeah, but like um, to take a quick break, like, oh, let me do backstroke yeah. for five minutes. So, okay, so that that's it. I'm talking about traditional backstroke. So one of my techniques is, so if I'm doing, I mean, we, we're talking about the English Channel a lot. I've done a lot more than the English Channel. But anyway, let's use that as a nice point of reference. <coughs> so when, when I'm feeding some of the psychology that you apply, I'm going to do probably about 22 feeds. So in other words, they're going to stop me. They're going to hand me a drink bottle or something to eat or whatever. Um and I've got 30 seconds usually, maybe a minute tops mm-hmm. to, to put that away before I need to get going again. So I never tread water and consume. I get on my back and almost, I don't know if I can demonstrate it on a podcast, but you, <laughs> you, you kind of kick, breaststroke kick on your back while I'm drinking and okay. eating. So even in those 30 seconds, I've still moved maybe 20, 30 meters further towards my destination. And then I get going okay. again. So I do do an element of backstroke, but it's certainly okay. not my preferred means of propulsion. Right. I would imagine, I would just like, thinking about it, I would imagine people would switch it up just for that kind of a distance and not do, I mean, breaking for, how long did you say it was again? You break to eat? Uh, 30 seconds. 30 half, seconds half only. A minute, half a minute. God, yeah. that's insane. Yeah. And 20 times. Approximately. So every half an hour, however long it yeah. takes. So it took me 13 hours. So I did approximately 22 stops. Mm. Hey, is that right? Yes, twenty six stops somewhere on there. Didn't you say that you swam um, in like Siberia, somewhere yeah. near Russia? Yeah. Oh, let me tell you what that, was that story. Like? <laughs> so, I'll tell you this story. It's quite interesting. So, um, through my journey, you know, we we done all the, the marathon. You get marathon swimming, which is your English Channel and your False Bay and your North Channel, mm. and then you get ultra extreme cold. So, through my journey, unpacking the element of cold and hard. I brutalizes the body and mind. I started to obviously get cold and cold and look for cold and colder water. Yeah. And uh, one day coming back um, from a cold swim somewhere, I think we, we try to be the first to swim around the southernmost tip of South America. Remind me to tell you that story. Um, because I, literally I can write a book about. Um, we came back and we were trying to, we we're getting quite into this cold thing, myself and a couple of, of like-minded mates. And uh, we had a look at where is the body or the book of record that tells you what a cold swim is and then records different feats in the cold and who's done the furthest and the hardest. And so we went on the internet and we tried to find like where this, where you could find this. And there is no, there's, it didn't exist. There is no body or book of record that tells you what ice swim is and then records feats in the cold water. Because as I've described before, the cold is the challenge. It's not the distance. It's keeping your head in the game for the distance while the cold impacts you. That's the challenge. And we were sitting in Cape Town, which is on the southern tip of Africa. Um, and it was a boiling hot day, just kind of like temper for the last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah been for real. Hot. Um, and we decided, you know, why don't we start the organization or the body that 
tells people what you need to do to do a cold swim and then record different feats in the cold. And uh, on that day, at least in my mind, the International Ice Swimming Association was born. So it's an association. Really? Yeah. So it's a, a formal association. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, started by me. It was the idea of another gentleman. Um, but I was a founding member of it. And together as a bunch of mates, we said, well, let's tell the world the following. If you want to say you've done an official ice swim, you have to commit to swimming a one-mile distance, so 1,609 meters. You have to swim that one mile wearing only a Speedo costume, one cap and goggles, no wetsuit, no grease. You can't even have a plaster on you. You've got to cut. You've got to take it off. It'll be that pure. No watch or anything? No. Uh, no. Uh, yes. No, take your watch off. No watch. Um, you have to swim that one mile in your Speedo in an outdoor body of water. can't be indoors. And that body of water needs to be 5 degrees Celsius, which is 41 Fahrenheit or below. If you can do one mile in the attire I've described uh, and follow the rules that we set, you will be recognized by our organization, in the International Ice Swimming Association, as having done an official ice mile. And we'll give you a certificate and we'll give you a red jacket and a badge and all that cool stuff and, and you will go on our book of record as having done this ice mile and we, we kind of um, the, the gentleman who started it takes all the credits and did all the work to make it an official and uh, um, we then sent it off into the world to see if we get any bites or if there's anybody out there who actually wants to try this stupid stuff and off it went and probably about three weeks later three of the founding members received an invitation to come and partake in an ice swimming event in a place called Tumin, Siberia. Okay. Tumin? Tumin, T-Y... You got to pull up the map, Jordan. T-Y-U-M-E-N. <laughs> okay. Tumin. Uh, and they were holding an ice swimming event. They had come across the International Ice Swimming Association and they wanted to use the good name of the association at their event. And uh, if we were prepared to do that, they would then fly us over and we'd, we'd be allowed to come to the event. But not to do a mile, to do like a 50 meter or 100 meter dash, maximum 400 meters. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the map. <laughs> I haven't seen this place for a long time. I've got mixed mixed memories. That's not, that can't be it. It looks like... Oh, well, that's summer. Look for two men in winter. <clears throat> Is this... So you, no, are no, you swimming no, in a no, river or in the ocean? No, so T T Y U T Y U M E N. Try that. Two min, two min. Yeah, somewhere on there. Oh my god! Yeah, now that's the right yeah, spot. Yeah, that looks better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Jesus, now pull, pull up like a map view of it. So there, yeah, quite far north in Russia. Okay. Like a like the like a the northern tip. Yeah. Looks cold. Yeah. So anyway, we you know, we sitting in Africa and we we get this uh, this call from them to say we found your organization and we're having this ice swimming event and if you want to, uh, we'll fly across if you let us put your organization name to our event. And uh, we were like, hell yes, we're going to Siberia. <laughs> I couldn't believe that anyone wanted to pay for us to do anything. Um, and we uh, were equally unanimous, though, that we're not going from Cape Town all the way to Siberia to swim a short distance, a 50-meter or 100-meter dash, which is what they were saying we could do. We were, we were going to come there and swim a mile, um, and they weren't happy with that. But anyway, long story short. They weren't happy with it. <laughs> no, they said, yet, uh-uh, not going to happen. 
Um, <clears throat> so there was a lot of banter, and eventually we compromised on a one-kilometer distance, 1,000 meters. Um, and they said, okay, we can try that. They'll put the medics in place. And, you know, we were a bit annoyed about that, and there was a lot of banter, and should we go, shouldn't we go? Eventually we said, of course we've got to go. We'll toughen them up a little bit and, you know, just spread the word about our organization. Pussy Russians. Yeah, <laughs> Russians, come on. <laughs> and uh, we arrived probably 10 days later in without doing much more homework and um, were escorted to the swimming pools in inverted commas. And I got off the bus and walked into the teeth of minus 27 Fahrenheit air temperature. It In the air? The air temperature was minus 27. Oh, my God. Dude, I don't know. I, know, I mean, I live in Africa. We just do not experience stuff like that. I knew without a doubt that there was the biggest mistake that I've ever made in my life to arrive there. There were no pools. There was nothing. There was no water. It was just absolutely white and everything was powder. I had two beanies on, two gloves on each hand, five layers of clothing, and I was absolutely in agony getting frostbite through that. It was just insanely cold. Okay, And the idea of stripping into... I want to cry just listening to this. The idea of stripping into a speeder and jumping in water, which doesn't exist because it's just ice, um, was impossible, literally impossible. Um, and they were eventually cutting through the, um, through the, oh, through the ice no. with chainsaws to, to expose this water. And, and to add insult to injury, the local media were fascinated by these three men who have now come from a distant land. <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> Africans. Who, who have invented the International Ice Swimming Association uh. and who have moaned that they can not swim a mile and only getting to swim a kilometer. These, oaks, these guys, camera people, wouldn't leave us alone at all. The journalism was just unbelievably. Oh. Um, and I'll never forget a very pivotal moment in my life, in fact, in, in the story, and I include this in the keynote and in my book, was when I... Um, we broke away from the cameras and the media and uh, three of us that had gone to Siberia from South Africa, we went and sat in the little sauna that was provided at this, at this event, a little wooden hut. And we barricaded the door closed from the inside. So sitting in a sauna, which was boiling hot, five layers of clothing, barricaded the door, and there was no of the usual testosterone kind of banter that we get off on. You know, it was just wide eyes, and we could only think of, like, how the hell do we get out of Dodge? I mean, this is just, this is just insane. We'll pay back the money, but fuck this. I'm out of here. Um, and I honestly believed outside that door, if I took off one of my gloves, that, you know, my fingers would fall off. It was that brutal. Um, and it's a fascinating 24-hour mental journey that I went on in Siberia that took me from absolute certainty that it was suicide, 24 hours later standing on the edge of this pool of death that they'd now cut out with the chainsaws, um, getting ready to swim a kilometer in minus 33 or minus 27 Fahrenheit, minus 33 Celsius. Um, and yeah, it was absolutely excruciatingly brutal, but I survived it and got it and got all the, the frost frostbite to, to prove it to <laughs> and uh, taught me some unbelievable lessons. How the hell did you swim that far? If they, I mean, they weren't able to, they cut that distance out with the yeah. chainsaws? Oh, I'm going to show you the videos. <laughs> yeah. You have the videos? Yeah. Where are they? Well, on my computer. Oh, you don't, they're not online? Uh, no, there's a lot of them are in my keynote. Oh, you'll find bits and pieces. I'll gladly share with you afterwards. Okay. Maybe you can cut it in. <laughs> yeah, the, we'll to have to cut it in. I'll give you little snippets because it's, it's quite amazing. Um, so they basically just cut this long strip, like yeah, a long so already, swimming lane. They already mapped it out. Okay, so 25 You might be able meters. to find pictures of it, though. 
If yeah, they've done I'm it, sure, if there's sure a lot of people have done it before, yeah, I'm sure you will. I want to actually see if I've got it. What's a, it called? Siberian swimming. Yeah, they they they, they, they do swimming. it in they do it in more places, more places than that. Let me just see while I'm if I can see anything. You can kind of get the idea there a little bit on. I know it's not very useful to podcast listeners showing pictures. Oh, of my, okay. Of they even put the lane separator. There you go. There. Okay, there we go. Yeah, that's that's me. I think. Is it really? Yeah. Can you full screen that? I think it might be. Everyone looks the Here, same. Watch that bit. video right there. There's a video to your left. Up. Holy See, a lot, shit. A lot of this is, is people just doing the, the in and out, and they jump in and jump out and uh, have a bit of fun. This one right here? No, no, no. To the, le- uh, to the left of that. Right there. Swimming with her beanie on. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people you'll see swim with their head up. They don't put their head under because that's where you lose most of your... Uh, right, right. Most of your heat. <clears throat> oh, there's some crazy nutters. Oh, Little kids? <laughs> what kind of a psychopath do you got to be to put your kid in that water? <laughs> Look at this guy. Oh, my gosh. Hmm. So... They're all types. So when you do... Like, for example, when you do... Um, like plunges in the cold when you're not swimming, do you go all the way under or do you just go like up to your neck? Um, no, I go all the way under. So when I'm all doing the, the ice tubs, it's up to the neck, but then I always go under completely under as well. But when you're swimming, it's face down freestyle straight from the beginning. Right. So you have, yeah. no, you have no choice, obviously, when you're yeah. swimming. Yeah. <sighs> that so, looks torturous. So, yeah, so Siberia was, I mean, the early days. So the swimming thing, this ice swimming thing has caught on a lot. Um, and we also learned a lot from our Russian friends as well, who obviously really? are far more used to this environment. But the, the distance that we did that day, the, the kilometer was way, way more than most would ever consider doing. And that's what uh, that's what kind of put us a little bit on the map and taught us a lot of about what... Um, we were able to bear, and that's where we, that was kind of the benchmark to take it a little bit further. How do you? Is there a process when you were in Siberia doing that? When you get out, when you're done, mm. what is like? Well, there has to be like an immediate protocol once you get out to yeah. like make sure you don't fucking die. So you, you're pretty useless uh, when you get out. So you're brittle. Okay, you're absolutely brittle. Let me tell you just quickly. So what they do, they cut that lake out, the 25 meter swimming pool, yeah. out of the, the lake, and then they put wooden boards on each side. Okay, so when you turn around, because you've got to do laps, you've got something to kick with your feet. You're not allowed mm. to do a tumble turn because when you do a tumble turn, you, you get quite disoriented because of the cold and your ears go all funny. So you're off balance and sometimes you kick off skew and you end up, up underneath that, that ice sheet. And that's just not good. It's horrible. It's dark and scary under there. Um, so you're not allowed to tumble turn. You have to touch the side and then swim. Even... On just changing directions, touching the, the wood above the water, your hands stick immediately in that minus 33. Just like that little little feeling. Um, so you end up then touching underneath the water. Um, so the protocol is obviously there's a support team ready there. There's medics and everything. And they literally help you out the water gently because you, you're absolutely brittle. It feels like everything's going to just crack off and fall off. Right. Um, they got me out and I, I'd walked down, I mean, being South African, I, I was totally underprepared. I came in, in, in flip-flops or, you know, so I walked to the pool in, in flip-flops and I took the flip-flops off when it came time to dive in and do my, my kilometer. By the time I finished, I got out 15 minutes later. Um, they then sturdy me and they want me to put my flip-flops back on and then walk me to the sauna where they're going to recover me. Mm. But they put my flip-flops on, but they had absolutely, they'd frozen frigid into the, into the, the ice. <laughs> they were stuck in the ice already. So I had to walk bare feet 
to which was a, probably about 70 meters away where this little sauna was. And then very strange um, technique of warming you up. You've got these big Russian ladies. Firstly, before you go into the sauna, so before you're in the warm part, they sit you outside and they take the snow. And they give you a proper snow rub. Mm. And I think the snow there is so dry. It's warmer. That it, that it's, yeah, and it's, it also absorbs water. So they get all the water off you very quickly. But just the walk, I already, all my eyebrows and my hair had gone solid into ice. I mean, it's that cold. It's got to be so much, it's got to be so similar to when you're, when you're free diving and you go super deep and, or when you're scuba diving and you're super deep breathing that oxygen, you shoot to the top, you get the bends. Bends, yeah. It'll kill you. Like yeah. going from that super cold yeah. to the sauna, that will fucking Absolutely. kill you. You've got to do it very slowly. And yeah. the other truth about the recovery process is that the, the places that hurt the most are, are your fingernails and toenails and, and one other piece of anatomy that, that really takes some proper strain. Your pee-pee? So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So if you, take a, if you put your hand on a, on a cement table and you take a hammer and you whack every single fingernail, um, that, that's the level of pain. It is absolutely brutal. And that is probably because the, the little, the tiniest capillaries under your fingernails actually burst because the, the water, the blood freezes in them and they, they kind of expand. And then mm. later <coughs> when you're warming up, that blood tries to get back in, but now it's all broken and messed up. And it, it's just excruciating. You saw and the nerves don't like that at all. So they start by uh, first the snow rub. Then you move into the super warm environment where they start pouring uh, usually just room temperature water over you. Normal room, not, not Siberia room. But like, right. Um, and, and then they slowly increase that, the, the water temperature. Um, and, and I can tell you, there are ladies doing it, but all you, you, you want your hands and your feet done, and all you want to ask them is, please just pour it, <laughs> pour it down there. <laughs> it's, it's so sore. That is crazy, yeah. man. Did you guys go out and just drink gallons of vodka afterwards? How did you know? <laughs> You're in Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. And, um, in fact, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, quite a interesting. I won't tell the whole story, but uh, we, we went out huge that night. And, I bet. Uh, right through the night and then very nearly missed our flights. <laughs> my one friend tackled another guy into a pile of snow and just beneath the snow was a bunch of concrete or a pavement and he cut his whole face open and oh man jesus it was, it was messy yeah. wow and so where did you fly you flew directly into siberia did you go through moscow or yeah i think moscow and then yeah. and then two men okay and two men's quite a town i thought it was gonna be like you know i always imagined that part of the world was like barren wasteland yeah, yeah. it's i think there's oil money there so you know everyone, uh, everyone drives big expensive cars and oh really it's very expensive yeah but it's kind of like a a lot of oligarchs running around there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, very hospitable people had a good time, and that anyway that that Siberia experience kind of opened my eyes to a whole lot of other stuff. So then you know that set me off on another kind of uh, segment of my journey to to push the boundaries. And did you do the trip around South America after that? No, South America was before that. So, oh, okay. so that was us <coughs> just getting colder and colder water. And what we realized that there's nobody had ever swum around the southernmost tip of South America. There's a little island called Cape Horn. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's known, Treacherous. As the, yeah, it's known as the sailor's graveyard for, for good reasons. And if you're into sailing, generally your Everest is to sail around there. So we thought oh, yeah. it'd be a good idea to see if we could be the first guys in the world to swim around there. Well, that's why they created the Panama Canal, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just properly right. dangerous. So, um, and we eventually managed to find an old sea dog who was prepared to take us down and throw enough dollars at him. And 
Uh, he couldn't speak a word of English. I'll never forget that, which we thought was a big hindrance in the beginning because you couldn't communicate with the guy. Um, and we had like a one-day, a 24-hour period to, of weather, and we had a long, I think it's something like a 28-hour boat trip to get down there over really <laughs> dangerous waters. Um, and I don't think he quite understood that if he got us to Cape Horn alive, we were then going to take our clothes off and jump off his boat <laughs> into the water. But anyway, we, we did it, and we became the first in the world to actually swim around that, and that's, uh, Guinness gave us a recognition for that as well, um, which was the first uh, Guinness record that I got. Um, and yeah, that, that was probably one of the most amazing experiences. Um, we went to South America to do three swims, firstly to try and swim across the Magellan Strait, or Magellan Strait, mm. um, which is very cold and quite a bit further. And then we wanted to swim the Beagle Channel, which is from Chile to Argentina. And we decided we want to do a double, so we want to swim there and back. That's very cold, lots of, um, whirlpools and let me tell you i've never experienced that again before or, or after and that is uh it, it's foss flowing water and it, it kind of i don't know just wraps somewhere so you get these massive whirlpools that make a loud sucking sound and um if you get sucked into that as a swimmer it's obviously not good so uh, we were sucked into one no, i didn't but uh no but i we were very close to it and uh what creates them? I, it's just the phosphorus water, and I think because tides change because it's tidal, um, so at some stage water's trying to get in and out. And I think okay. you know, I'm not. I don't know. Don't don't. I hope there's no scientists listening to this, but that's, huh. my, that's how I figure it out. Um, but they're quite daunting. I never forget stopping in the middle of that Beagle Channel. It's eight degrees Celsius water, which is about fifty Fahrenheit. Um, <coughs> so you're cold and you're dangerous and you're I mean, in danger and you've got to keep uh, moving. And then I just remember stopping because there was no support boat alongside. I was all alone out there with, with uh, another swimmer, a friend alongside. And we just heard this. <laughs> and you realize you can't see it because your, your eye line is kind of the same, right. same height. But you know it's close and you don't know which way to swim. And you just your mind starts playing tricks. You start feeling yourself getting sucked in. So anyway, we just like changed trajectory and swam. as a nice little adrenaline burst to get us across how far away from shore do you stay? do you stay pretty close to the shoreline when you somewhere like around the horn around horn we, we yeah we hugged the coast but we yeah. couldn't hug it too close because you get bashed on the rocks right, um, right, right. And, and also we had a bit of a strategic fail there all the homework we did which there's very little research in that area on which way the currents go and when mm-hmm. um <clears throat> so we had done the research with the chilean navy as to, to which way we should swim from where and to where and when we jumped in, we all swam for the first five odd minutes without moving anywhere. So we were completely in a current um, in, in the wrong way. So the only way to get out is to take the risk and swim really close to shore. So risk the breakers, risk getting, getting bashed on the rocks. But often the current doesn't run right along the shore. Right. So, so that we had to do. Wow. Yeah. So look, you make, you've got to make split decisions. And um, there's something that I've really learned uh, through this process and, and pushing these boundaries and doing these world firsts is that f- firstly you can't follow the rules okay you cannot take no for an answer there's mm-hmm. a very good reason no one's done it before so if you really want to do it do the homework get it get it uh, do the research put the safety stuff in place and yeah. um, and then figure it out and one of the guys in our group was really good at not taking no for an answer I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of the guy that when I'm presented with a whole bunch of facts as to why I'll probably die. Yeah. I'm like, okay, you know, you're the local. <laughs> You've How got far is it, I wonder, from the Horn of South America to Antarctica? Do you know? Well, 
unswimmable. I, I, I don't. Yes, yeah, unswimmable For because sure. I've done it on on a boat. So I, I, the the biggest challenge in the cold that I set for myself and and with with guys who I joined, the guys who were doing it, was to try and be the first in the world to swim an official ice mile uh, in Antarctica. Mm. So I have gone once I'd done the the swim in at the Cape Horn. We went back again and then took a ship cruise liner to Antarctica. Oh so wow! I, so I've done that. You go across the Drake Passage. It's one of the most volatile bodies of water. It's really, really tough. The Drake Passage. Drake Passage, yeah. It's really tough. It's really Those are some of the most unexplored parts of the ocean. Though, they right? are, yeah. And, and quite interestingly, although, I mean, I wasn't part of it, so it's not really my story to tell, but I was part of a rowing crew that was going to be the first in the world to row from Cape Horn or basically South America to Antarctica. Wow. Um, and then unfortunately, I had to pull out just because of financial reasons. Yet, And the club in was, was quite hectic. Um <coughs> And it's such a pity because eventually Discovery came on and financed the whole thing. And oh, did they really? costing the guys. The guy took my place, got a salary for doing it. So I was quite bitter. But uh, good for him for sticking it out. Wow. But anyway, so, so you can, it's been rowed once. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was meant to be part of the team, but I wasn't. So it's, uh, it's a chink in my armor. But I'm not really a rower. I've never rowed anywhere, anywhere, anywhere at any time. So it was going to be a new experience. But we went to Antarctica. Uh, to try and be the first to swim a mile south of the Antarctic Circle. And that's one of the most fascinating stories or experiences of my life. Um, We didn't get the geographic goal just because we don't have our own ship. So we had to be paying passengers on an ocean liner. And Mm. uh, this thing just keeps moving and they don't change the schedule for anybody. They literally go up the coast of uh, or down the coast of Antarctica and uh, they go in south of the circle, and then 48 hours later, they turn around and come back. So if the weather isn't good in those 48 hours, if it's unswimmable, which um, uh, you, you're going to miss that goal. Now, I before I went, I knew Antarctica from what I've seen on Nat Geo and, and Discovery Channels. <laughs> Beautiful flat water with a whale frolicking in the distance and you know, some you know, ice over there and blue skies. That's not what we experienced. It was just brutal and wild and, and hectic and uh, very, very, very daunting. Um, and even though we missed the geographic goal, we still made the mile attempt after seven days of being on standby. Um, we, we got them to give us a go. And uh, the water that I did it in was minus one degree Celsius. So that is, um, man, I wish I could remember my conversions better. That's 30 degrees Fahrenheit. 30 degrees 30. Fahrenheit. So, so salt water freezes below 32. 32. Yeah. Okay. 32 is when water freezes. So you're swimming through ice. So, yeah, but it's salt water, so it actually doesn't, it's okay. still liquid, but there's plenty <laughs> ice floating in it and icebergs. And, um, and then you get the added little bonus of something called a leopard seal. I don't know if you know what that is. <laughs> yeah. That is a, just an insane beast. Um, and when you get to Antarctica, they're absolutely prolific. So they're all over the place and they, they're huge, like dinosaur looking things. Do they, do they mess with you? They, n- yes and no. So they, they've been responsible for a couple of deaths, but they're not, they're kind of like your great white shark scenario. You know, he's not a man eater, but he wants to see what you are and he kills you by mistake. And sorry, he didn't mean to. These guys, I think, are really inquisitive. So sometimes the people who have died at their hands or mouths have been, they've been inquisitive and pulled them under the water and not let them back up as they want to play or whatever they're, they're doing. I don't think they're malicious, but they're deadly. Absolutely. What about polar bears? Uh, that's, that's, you don't find that in Antarctica. They're in the north. Oh. Yeah. So they're, they're penguins and... <laughs> Idiot like me like doesn't me. know that. <laughs> no, I, I didn't know that until I got there. Well, listen, when, you know, the crew of the ship were meant to help us. 
and they expected us to to arrive with some cage apparatus to swim in mm. for the leopard seals. Oh, really? And I didn't even know leopard seals existed until I got there. That's how bad I was. So don't feel bad about the polar bears. Um, a cage apparatus to, yeah. to, to, to protect yeah. you from well, the leopard A lot of people swim in, in cages. So the false base swim that I did in, in South Africa, which yeah. is the great white uh, feeding <laughs> ground, um, I, uh, there are a few people who have attempted it in a cage because you, you, you – Sharks attack from the bottom, so you got kind of this U-shape cage, and if you can picture it with an outboard engine on that that uh, that you swim inside, and it drags uh, it behind the boat or something. Uh, it's got it's actually got a own transom and a and a, I mean there are lots of different makeups, but picture almost like two canoes and a transom between them at the back, and underneath each canoe there's there's sort of a, a cage that goes down and then a flat cage and coming up at the other canoe no way so you swim between the two canoes but below you there's metal bars that's insane yeah. i had no idea that was a thing yeah. i've never i've never done that i did do a swim with with a guy once um and he was in the cage but there's no room for me so i was on the outside <laughs> and i oh, thought that really? was so rude it was it freaked me <laughs> out <laughs> sorry bud we don't have enough room for you yeah, <laughs> you're on the outside mate. <laughs> Uh, wow. But, but I've got no experience with that. And, and, and in fact, I haven't heard of anyone swimming with, with a cage for, for many years. Mm. But some of the crew kind of couldn't believe, A, we were going to swim in that water without <laughs> wetsuits, and B, that we were going to swim in that water with the leopard seals. And, and true to form, obviously, when we did eventually get to make our, our attempt, and this, by the way, is a, is a very long extended uh, story, which I'm cutting very short, the um, leopard seal did come along to, to try and have a look at us. And they went with a zodiac and they circled around it. A oh, really? Bit, yeah. Got some great video footage of that, and eventually, luckily, it decided to go the other route. Um, so, what's <coughs> next for you? What do you uh, do? You have any sort of like big goals on the horizon that you want to do next? Like, well, I don't understand. I don't even know what could possibly trump swimming around the Horn of South America or swimming in Siberia. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I know we, we can't go on forever, but one of my best stories was trying to swim from Russia to the USA. Solo. I'll oh, to you well. mean from like uh, to Alaska? Let me let me. Can I tell you the story? Quickly? Oh, I'll for sure. Yeah. Oh, we got we got plenty of time. Oh, all right. Let me. <laughs> um, so the, obviously you've got Russia and Alaska, about a, a hundred and eighty kilometers across between the two of them of Bering Sea. Okay. Right. Um, I was invited to be part of a relay attempt, a Russian relay attempt that was looking to swim from Russia, world first across to america okay and it was a big international thing mostly russians but then they had an international component of which i was one and it was it was meant to take us three or four days in a relay it took us about 13 days eventually i turned 40 years old twice by the way mm -mm. because smack in the middle of that sea is the international dateline so it's it's where kind of everything meets so you know on one side is is uh, 24 hours away or 23 hours away from the other side wow so and um, I happened to have my foot. We had just crossed that line. And we were in American waters. And uh, I turned 40. And the weather turned <coughs> so bad. And we had to anchor. And because we couldn't move anymore, we ran out of permissions to be in American water, being a Russian vessel. So they then had to go back into Russia, which put me back into yesterday. So I turned 39 again. <laughs> <laughs> back a date that's hilarious and then we when we crossed over the date line again i turned 40 again all of the time caught up so that, that's quite a i mean that's just a sideline um that was a, a fascinating story however while i was on that relay trip which was successful in the end um and a, and a complete adventure 
um, I spotted two little islands called the Diomede Islands, okay, smack in the middle of this Bering Sea. So they're two little clumps of rock, really. One is called Ratmanova, which is big Diomede, and that's in Russian waters. And 3.8 kilometers across, which is about two miles, mm -hmm. there's another little island called Little Diomede, and that's American water. So I figured if I can swim between those two islands, um, I will be the first male to have ever swum from Russia to America solo. Now, it's been done by a lady called um, Lynn Cox, okay, mm. who I've met and what a great swimmer. She's an American woman and uh, lives in uh, San Diego, I think. Well, that's where I met her. And she did it <coughs> in the 1980s. No one's ever done it or tried it since. So I really, really wanted to, to try and do that. So living in Cape Town is quite hard, but eventually I flew with a group of, of guys who had different goals. They wanted to do it in, in wetsuits and they didn't want to get cold. They just wanted to do quite cool swimming from Russia to the USA and mm -hmm. across the date line. Oh, and yeah, just so that one island is 23 hours time difference to the other, but they're only two miles apart. Right. So it's quite a weird so thing. Weird. swimming from one side to the other and it's, it's yeah. very bizarre in your head trying to figure it out. It's either going to take you the longest swim of your life or it's going to be the quickest. Right. Um, so anyway, where was I? Oh, so I had to fly from Cape Town to Johannesburg, Johannesburg to London, London to New York, New York to Anchorage, Anchorage to Nome, Nome to Prince of Wales, and then I had to get on a little boat and catch a ride out to the island um, to, to start the swim. <laughs> so it's, wow. you, you just have no idea. And what had happened in all the preparation that we had done to, to get there happened to coincide with the first time that Russia decided to invade Ukraine, or I say the first time, maybe there's a time before, but the last time, so not this current time that, that we're happening now. So the what, When was it? What year? Uh, it must have been 2014. Yeah. 2014. 2014. Was that when they took over Crimea? I think so. Okay. Yeah, I don't know too much about the politics. All I know is that it was okay. hypersensitive. Mm -hmm. And the Russian island is a military base, kind of a first line of defense from the American side. Right. So <clears throat> we couldn't get permission to enter Russian waters, no matter how hard we tried, uh, because you, you're going through unorthodox ways. You're going to buy, buy a boat, you're going to swim into Russia, essentially. Right. <laughs> so they just don't understand that. And it's just <laughs> too, uh, too crazy, so they said no. There are also a whole colony of walrus that live there that, that are quite dangerous, and you, you know, it adds to the, right. to the hecticness. Walrus? Walrus, okay. yeah. Walrus. Wal say, walrus. 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 And, yeah, so eventually we, we, the, the American expedition company that took us, because we couldn't get permissions, refused to go across that dateline and into Russian waters. Mm. So they'd only escort us the first mile from America to that line, and they wouldn't go any further. So we lost our support crew, most of it. There was only one wow. or two boats. But when you're in a place that remote, and you can throw enough cash at anybody to kind of, you know, someone's going to figure it out for you. So, so first, sorry, just backtracking. We didn't get permission to get into Russian water. So generally what normal people would do is then to say, well, you know, it didn't work. Sorry, we can't get permission. I decide I want to go anyway because I know that when you get into these really remote places, they often have laws of their own. And uh, money talks, so you throw a bit of money at the problem and uh, you find a way to get yourself across. So that mm -hmm. we did and we got out there. But no one gave any support whatsoever. The locals were just saying, uh-uh, you'll get shot out the water. Don't, really? Don't do it. Yeah. And it's really messed with my mind. Really messed with my mind. So remember, I'm there. I'm there with a really good bunch of mates that are are, are doing a swim, but they're on a completely different mission. So they've got no threat from the cold, but then in, in in proper wetsuits and protection. I'm going to try and do this swim solo in a in a, in a speeder. 
Okay, so I'm going to be pushing myself to the brink of death, and then I need someone to take over when I've achieved my goal and get me to recover and bring me back to life. So it is quite a hectic mindset. It's one when you're doing it with, with a bunch of mates who are doing the same thing with you, but when um, when they're not, um, uh, you feel very alone. <laughs> the next thing that went on is that when I went past those islands on the relay attempt, we measured the water at six degrees Celsius. Okay, which is Flippin' cold, what's that? Uh, uh, and anyway, work it out. Six degrees would be about 45, 48 Fahrenheit. Um, yeah, 43 Fahrenheit, okay? Um, and I reckon I could do the, the two-mile distance in that, just over two miles, 2.2 miles. Um, when we got there to do the solo, it was 3.2 degrees Celsius, which is closer to 32 33 Fahrenheit, so it's really cold. Makes a massive difference. So it's half the time before you're dead, basically. It's not just three degrees colder. Um, plus, we lost the support crew, so we, we lost about three boats. So now we've got <coughs> five guys swimming, all of the uh, six guys swimming, five in wetsuits, and one in a speedo, having to share a boat. I have to get myself in a very meditative state, so I separate myself from the herd. They all jokes and banter and, and are, are, are talking about what the plans are. I just had to get in the zone to, to focus on the cold. And we eventually got a guy who was prepared to take us into the Russian water and drop us at the island. And I made a call. I'm not going to climb out on the island because immediately you can see the, the Russian military reactors. Really? Yeah, you can see them. They watch. There's nothing else to do out there. So they're watching like what the hell's going on here. And they're probably, I imagine they're probably fucking half in the bag drinking yeah. vodka <laughs> <laughs> what else is there to do there? Um, so yeah so anyway I lost a, a little bit of nerve and uh, decided I'm still going to do the swim but I'm not going to access the Russian island which means I can't claim the record because you have to exit land and exit land on each side to say you've done the swim mm-hmm. so I decided just take me to opposite the island drop me in the water and I'll swim hell to leather back to America um, which is what I did but I need a support boat alongside me because it's three degree water. Three, it went, there were patches of six, so it was between three and six uh, Celsius. Um, and because we had lost some of the support crew, we were all sharing a boat. And when we reached that dateline <coughs> geographically, obviously there's no line. You're kind of swimming one stroke, you this side of the line, the next stroke, you that. The guys right. will stop for a photo shoot. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't stop. So, and uh, it just went. So they all said, no, no, just swim on, swim on. So I kept swimming by myself, completely exposed out in the middle, knowing that I'm dying body-wise. Right. There are war us in the area. There are currents that are sweeping me out. And uh, I swam the 3.8, uh, the two-mile distance, and the support bank, came alongside me and I, and I realized I got my trajectory horribly wrong so I wasn't swimming to America I'd, I had to swim at an angle to compensate for the currents running mm-hmm. between the islands um, and yeah they, that I'd got a little bit wrong I'd gone a bit too hectic because I don't have a boat beside me and you can't really right. see where you're going bottom line is I didn't make it I got pulled out really I did the distance so I swam from Russia to America um, but I did not start on the uh, on the Russian islands so I can't claim the record long story for that but it's quite hard to picture well, it all, but if I had the, the visuals it, it makes a lot more sense I'm sure that's anyway, fucking it was an adventure amazing I, I mean I don't think anyone would uh, fault you for not mm. touching on land in Russia in fear of getting shot I mean that's well that yeah it's no, fair listen I you still did it I, I still did it and I, the other thing in my head just the last hurdle was that I didn't personally believe I'd get shot although that's what I was told by the people who should know 
Um, but even if they didn't shoot and they just pulled me out and arrested me, as we know in legally in Russian waters, I need proper medical support to, to recover. And they're not going to know that. So right. they're going to take me and maybe try and process. I'm really trying to tell them in English, dude, Some I'm guy gone. in a Speedo. Arrested <laughs> a guy in a Speedo. <laughs> <laughs> and he can't talk English or, or, or Russian. <laughs> what's worse, arresting a guy in a Speedo or shooting a guy in a Speedo? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, all these things were playing in my mind and I, I let it get the better of me. Um, in retrospect, I should have just gone and climbed out on that Russian island and swum across, and I don't think I would have had a problem. They probably yeah. would have clapped and applauded because they're so bored. But it was a different political time. So yeah. right. Well, so what's next? Do you have a, do you have plans for another crazy expedition? Yes, but it will not be extreme cold. It will be cold water, um, and it's going to take a long time because right now, after COVID, uh, you know, I've got a. I've got a different challenge on my hands. So being a public speaker, you can imagine how many events were happening <laughs> for the last two years. It, it took quite a curve. So, and things have picked up amazingly, but I just need to ride that storm. And, uh, but so here's, I've mentioned False Bay a few times through this chat. False Bay is 34 kilometers across. It is the Great White feeding ground. So psychologically it's difficult, but there are more things that sting you and that, that are going to bite you. And the distance is quite extreme and the currents are unpredictable. But mm. It's not... It's not a, a channel, it's a bay. So currents, you don't always know what's going to happen. I took that on and I got a Guinness World Record for completing it. And, you know, it was, was a wonderful accolade and I was very proud of myself. However, if I'm deadly honest, that was within my comfort zone. I set goals that I don't think I can achieve, not goals that I know I can achieve. Because if you're setting, even though it might look extremely hard to most, if you're setting a goal that you kind of know if you do A, B, and C, you're going to achieve it, mm -hmm. that's comfort zone stuff in my yeah. frame of reference. Okay, so try set goals that you actually don't think you find that will be really hard for you and then take it <coughs> up a level. Uncharted territory. Uncharted turf. So I knew I'd make false bay. What I don't know is whether I can make it back. So turn around and swim back. So call it a 70-kilometer swim which I've never done anything close to. I know it's humanly possible. Whether I can do it, I don't know. It means I'll swim for probably around 24 to 28 hours. And that means I'll swim overnight unprotected in the dark in False Bay with, with the, 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 the psychology of that just scares the living daylights out of me, to be honest. Being an extremely cold, tired, frustrated, salt-chafed, dehydrated swimmer. And then it gets dark and I have to try to keep my wits about me for another probably 10 to 12 hours. So you would swim through the night? I'd swim through the night, yeah. Wow. Solidly, yeah. That, that's the plan. So, not, you know, that's, that's the goal, um, which is going to take a few years. I need to find a, a, a nice sponsor who can give me the, the financial peace of mind. So You need to find a film crew. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's going to make fascinating footage. I've thought of that, actually. There's been a little bit of interest, but I'm not... Although I'm talking about it on a podcast, that's just part of my process to get my head right. I am disclaiming it by saying oh, there's a lot of stars that need to align before I even start the training for mm. that. So it's a long way down the line. But it is. you asked what my goal is, and that is my goal. That's an incredible goal. A lot of people do that. A lot of people like make a goal public so it like holds them accountable for totally. it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So. What's up with your book? What's the name of your book? It's called Push Past Impossible. Hold it up next to your face right here so the camera can see it right here. There you go, guys. Push Past Impossible. Push Past Impossible. And you, yeah. just, you just now got it released recently, right? Just released. It's been out for a month. Um, all of a sudden, uh, arrived on my doorstep. So this is a product of, of hard lockdown and COVID. 
<laughs> when I was finally given enough time to to do it. Uh, you'll find it on Amazon. It's on, on, on Kindle and everywhere as well. So audio? It's, um, it's not audio yet, but okay. it will be. Yeah. A lot of my mates who don't like reading want me to do yeah, the audio. That's me. I can't <laughs> read. Uh, I understand that. But it's uh, it's been out a month, and I'm, you know, it's a very vulnerable process, to be honest, writing a book. I, I uh, wasn't sure I wanted to do it, and then you have all those self-doubts of will everyone read it, and is, is it going to be interesting, and will the, the messaging come across? Because I include quite a lot about you know the, 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 the mind of that and how you relate that to daily life. and. Mm. You know some of the stories we've shared today. There's a lot more in this in this book, um, and it shows the whole progression from me as a, a you know as a good old couch potato uh, at the age of of uh, you know twenty eight thirty, uh, and now a three time Guinness World Record holder doing crazy stuff and traveling the world as an inspirational speaker and doing wonderful podcasts with you on concrete. So um, how taking a little step in your life and just taking a change and make taking a little bit of a risk every now and then, how that can change your direction and uh, really just uh, you know revolutionize your life, which it has for me. And this book uh, takes you through that. It's really incredible what you're doing, man. And uh, I love the parallels and what it does to basically explore the human mind and, you know, the powers of the human brain and what it can do and understanding what it was designed to do and keep you away from as opposed to, you know, having being able to have the motivation and the desire and the just will to do impossible things. And that's the biggest thing I think I took away from, you know, listening to you was like trying to discover you know, understanding at least that yeah. this, your brain is trying to hold you back because of evolution. So you have to learn how to 100%. push past that. hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I hope I got, I'm glad you took that out of it because, uh, you know, obviously when I do the <coughs> keynotes in the corporate, it's far more succinct and, yeah. and, and, and nicely uh, laid out, but you've nailed it. So that's exactly it, you know, and, and my swimming journey has taught me that uh, about myself and I'm a complete, that's, I think that's where I started. I'm a complete average Joe. There's nothing special about me. I've no clever ability to self-heat my center core and survive some of the situations yeah. better than anyone else. It's just a matter of understanding. It's a matter of being aware of what's happening in your head, as you've just put it. And then one of the hardest parts, believe it or not, is actually believing it's relevant to you. Because we, we as humans, we always think, oh, well, that's relevant to someone else, not me. I've got my shit together. Mm -hmm. um, I know when I'm taking a risk. I know when my mind's steering me away from comfort. I've got this. But when you believe that you're actually not, okay, only then can you be brave enough to try take a step right. uh, out of that. So it's kind of a three-tier process that I teach. Be aware of it first, and that we do through wonderful stories, and then believe, and then be brave enough to try. That's beautiful, man. Do you have a website or anything where people can find out, find more of your work or your talks? Yeah. Or so w website is Ryan Stramrud. I'm going to hold this up so you can see the the, the spelling. Everyone spells it. There wrong. it is. Oh, there it is. Ryan Stramrud uh, um, dot com. Um, but where I'm most active is on Instagram. So, okay. And that's Ryan underscore Stramrud. Cool. S T R A M R W O D. I will link it below. Oh. Thanks again for your time, man. Yeah, I really appreciate this. Uh, what you're doing is fucking fascinating and I love it. And I hope, uh, I hope more people can find out about what you're doing and, and find your, your talks and your book and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. So. Fantastic. Thanks for your interest and thanks to your listeners and viewers and everybody. I really appreciate it. Interact. Cool. Love to hear from you.